frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. Don't you understand, George? It's because you were not born. Film church. Well, a, a boy's best friend is his mother. It's not hard to die well. The hard thing is to live well. Bonjourno, and welcome to Film Church Radio. This is the podcast that treats cinema as a religion. It's Sunday, I'm Lewis. And I'm Brandon. And we are here to talk about movies. Each week, Brandon and I alternate picking a film for us both to watch and discuss. Today, I picked the film Rome Open City from 1945, directed by Roberto Rossellini. Um, this is a film that neither Brandon and I had watched before. Um, it's something that... Um, I think the Italian film, we haven't watched any for Film Church Radio. So this is the first Italian film. Um, and also it's from a period that I'm really interested in, which is the Second World War in cinema and how it's represented. Um, there's a lot of things to say about this film, and I think it's had a lot of influence kind of moving forward. So I'm excited to talk to Brandon about it. And if you want to hear what we're going to be um, discussing next week, stick around till the end of the show and Brandon will reveal um, but before we jump into the film, we'd like to say thank you to everyone who's been listening to the podcast and sending their love for the show. Um, if you're new here, welcome. Um, thank you for joining us. We put an episode out every Sunday. And as we said before, Brandon and I alternate picking films. So there's a lot of variation there um, for us all to get involved in and, and enjoy during this cinematic odyssey that we're going through. Um, you can find us on all social medias at Film Church Radio. Um, leave us a comment, leave us a like, whatever you want to do. Just let us know if you listen to the show, what films you enjoy, what you'd like for us to watch in the future, all that good stuff. All our old episodes are streaming on all good podcast platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Audible, everywhere. So you can go and check them out. And if you want to see our faces, then we do have some content on YouTube that you can um go and see whenever we have a special guest on for the majority of the time. We record it and put it out on YouTube as a video so you can see us discuss the film um, in real life. Um, if you want to support the show, there's a few ways that you can do that. Obviously, subscribe and rate it wherever you listen. Um, if you are on Spotify right now, and that is the way that Brennan, we're being host for, hosted through Spotify, so it'd be great for you to go ahead, um, leave a comment, leave a like, Tell your friends that that's where they can find us. Share it on all social medias. All that kind of stuff. We would really, really appreciate it. And as we've mentioned the last few weeks, um, we did have a poll that was going on um, for the greatest Stanley Kubrick film. Um, still there. Still there until the end of May. So you can go and vote. And I'm sure in the future, if you look at the episodes, we'll be doing some other stuff like that for us. Be able to get involved and tell us what you think. Now, I think... Uh, I think- uh, 2001 Space Odyssey is winning now. Cool. So the so congregation we... is like us. We we also thought that. So <laughs> <laughs> if you disagree strongly, now's your chance to tell us. Um, go and vote for your favorite. Um, like I said, that's until the end of May, and we'll do it. And we'll kind of talk about it on the show once it's all wrapped up, I'm sure. Um, before we go ahead and discuss Rome Open City, though, we are going to go to our hymn section which is before the main sermon where we sing the praises of other films that we've been watching this week. Um, Brandon, I see you have a few here. So yes. what have you been watching? What do you want to sing the praises of? All kinds of movies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, first one on the list is Caprice from 1986, which is Joanna Hogg's student film yeah. that she made uh, with Tilda Swinton long before their collaboration on um, the Souvenir movies and The Eternal Daughter, which we talked about last week. Great movies. You should check them out. Um, and yeah, I've just started to become a a big fan of Joanna Hogg, so I went back and found this on YouTube. Um, I ended up giving it five out of five. It's, yeah. um, you know, it's not a masterpiece by any means, but like I had a great time watching it. Yeah. Um Tilda Swinton is great in it and like the the imagery is really cool, the set design, the costumes, the concepts, all of it is very uh 
expressive, mm-hmm. especially for a student film. You don't normally see um, <laughs> student like a student first time filmmaker coming out of the gate swinging so hard, you know. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I'm really glad that I mean film careers can sometimes, you know, take weird journeys. And I think Joanna Hogg didn't make films for a long time. And then she's, you know, yeah. come back into it um, later in life. And I'm really glad she has because um, she's making great stuff. So I'm going to go back and watch all of her things. Yeah. You know, see how yeah. she's developed. She um, worked in TV for a while, right? She did the the British soap opera EastEnders. Oh, um, okay. She did a few episodes of that. Yeah. That makes so, sense, yeah. Yeah, I mean, especially for female filmmakers, it's like they they tend to not get greenlit as much as, especially back then, you know. Yeah. Um. So I'm really glad that, you know, she's getting to do more now. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's awesome. Uh, I went back and watched Time Bandits, which uh, I was reminded of because Criterion is doing a a release of it. Um, it's from 1981 and. Uh, <laughs> It's such a good movie. Like I watched it a long time ago when I was a teenager and uh a friend of like a, I think a friend recommended it or maybe I watched it with him or something and um yeah, it's such a weird fun movie. I'm really into these kind of movies right now. I mean, it's it's like it's a very like um medieval mystical um kind of movie. And and like the eighties were a great time for those kinds of movies because, I, w- I mean the special effects are hit and miss with these kinds of movies, but like yeah. they're really good here. You know, I have like a big nostalgia for eighties style effects before like the CGI started yeah. to become mixed in with it. Um, so the practical effects are amazing. The costumes are amazing. Uh, it's a Terry Gillum film. Um, and he did a lot of the, um, stuff with, uh, the British comedy people. Um, (laughs) what are they called? I'm blanking right now. Uh, let me look at, uh, Monty Python, the Monty Python guys. Um, and, uh, so, you know, it's got, it's got like a weird quirky sense of humor, um that just had me laughing the whole time you know it's like and it's also a time travel travel movie um (laughs) i don't want to give too much away but it's a have you ever seen it or heard about it i have like i know a little bit but not i've never seen it yeah it's kind of i mean it's it's like these time traveling little people bandits yeah and uh it's great it's a it's a really great time i'm I might buy it on Criterion just so I can watch it all the time. Yeah. Um, highly recommend. And like I said, I'm really into these kinds of movies right now, like the 80s kind of heavy special effects movies. Yeah. Mad Max, as you know, I've, I've talked about recently. So stuff like that. Um, I finally watched The Gentleman, uh, the Guy Ritchie film from 2019. Yeah. Uh, my girlfriend had... I think she had seen it in theaters, and ever since then she's been like, oh, you would really like this. You should watch it. You should watch it. So we finally watched it. I think it's on Netflix right now. Um, and it's just a really great, you know, gangster film. Yeah. It's Guy, Guy Ritchie going back to the gangster film. And, uh, yeah, I had a great time with it, you mm. know. Mm. Um, it seems like there's not... I mean, it's a very niche genre, I guess. You know, like the the gangster film kind of had its heyday. Well, it, it had a couple of heydays, I guess. You know, it had its original heyday back in like what the '30s, '40s, <laughs> um, and then people have always done gangster films here and there. But it also kind of had a resurgence, I guess, in in the '90s. Yeah. Or uh, I don't know. There's been several resurgences, I guess. Now that I think about it, because like Scorsese. Mm. you know kept doing it in the 60s and 70s and then um tarantino in the 90s 
so yeah, it, it's it's just you know one of those really good gangster movies, but awesome. a little bit updated and newer. Yeah, um, it's a good time. And then we went and saw the Super Mario Brothers movie, and it's great. Have you seen yeah, it? I haven't. It's really good. I mean, it's it's way. I mean, I, I guess I probably set my expe- expectations low, but it it came out really well. Um, yeah, that's the most. I mean, I don't want to spoil it for anybody that mm-hmm. hasn't seen it, but I had a great time watching it. It's got me really excited for future Nintendo movies. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, we're in our thirties, so we grew up playing mm-hmm. all of these games and. I really hope they do like a Super Smash Brothers kind of <laughs> yeah. crossover Avengers style, you know, movie yeah. would be really great. Because, um, I mean, I played so much Super Smash Brothers. Yeah. <laughs> Legend of Zelda, Mario, yeah. all of that stuff. And then I watched last night at the Alamo uh, from 1983. And this is a film that has been on my watch list probably for about a year or so. Uh, and I finally watched it. Um, it is based in Houston, which is where mm. I live right now. So that's cool. It's like Houston in the 80s. And it stars Sonny Carl Davis, who is the guy. He's in the movie Bernie, okay. which you know that I love. We talked yeah. about it last year. It's one of my favorite movies. Uh, Richard Linklater film, um, and he plays the character who, who's like describing Texas, like all the different okay. yeah. states. I mean, all the different like you know sections of Texas yeah. and stuff. Um, and uh, yeah, he's. I mean, he's obviously way younger in this movie, um, and really good. Like he's like, he reminds me of um, Robert Duvall. A young, like a okay. younger Robert yeah. Duvall, um, just really captivating mm. on screen. You know, really good actor. Um, and I mean, he's been working and stuff. You know, he's not you know Robert Duvall status, I guess. But like, he's really good in the yeah. movie. It's worth watching just to see his performance. Um, I gave it a three and a half out of five. I mean, it's a really good movie. It, it, it also shows like the influence that it probably had on link later. Yeah. Um, because it's a very, it feels like kind of like clerks and slacker, um, which obviously clerks is a Kevin Smith movie, but it's like, it's very, I mean, it's black and white. It's set in a bar. That's like supposed to be demolished the next day. And so it's just about all of the different people in the town coming to the mm. bar and like you know you're just thrown in this world you're yeah. just thrown in, in in this world that feels lived in like all the characters feel real you know you're not um the the movie's not like over explaining anything you're just kind of thrown in the middle of this world uh yeah. and it's and it's it's accurate you know it's it's accurate to texas and um these people from texas and you know even to the point that it's like cringy like very cringy yeah. at times as far as like the racism and stuff that's in it um but yeah i mean it it's it's also of its time you know it's 1983 so yeah um i think while there i mean there has been a lot of growth since then you know um the racism was a lot more blatant back then yeah. It's still not great today, you know, there's still a lot of work to be done, but, you know, I think it's accurate to the time. Yeah. Um, so I appreciated it a lot, and, uh, yeah, three and a half out of five on that. Nice. And that was it for me. Awesome. Awesome. That's a good selection of stuff. Yeah, it's kind of, you know, very diverse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've been watching some stuff as well. Um so I started with um, Sunrise, A Tale of Two Humans from 1927. Um, this was Murnau's first um, American film, the director of Nosferatu and others from the German classic era of you know expressionism and things like that, um, came over to the US and made this. Um, and it's phenomenal. 
I love it so much. Uh, like the um, a country farmer um, is lured by a, a woman from the city, like a femme fatale, early femme fatale, who tries to convince him to drown his wife um, so that they can, um, you know, inherit all the money and kind of move to the city, <laughs> sell the farm and, you know, live together. Um, takes her out in a boat, is about to do it, decides not to, which isn't a spoiler. Um, and they kind of go into the city together and, you know, rediscover what it is to be in love. Yeah. Um, it's just a really sweet, great film, you know, bringing these sentiments from Germany over and um, fusing them with the American money and the, you know, the scale of things. Um, it's great. And Murnau is such a deft touch at directing it. Every, every shot looks brilliant. And there's a lot of cool um, techniques that he uses um, to, to tell the story, you know. Um, and Murnau did Nosferatu, right? He did sure say that. Yeah. Yeah. He he did Nosferatu. Um, he did like Faust and, and other big productions in Germany. Um, yeah. one of the first German directors to kind of be lured away over to Hollywood. Yeah. Um, and this is like his first feature, which I think is wonderful. So I gave it five out of five. Um nice. I do think that people should check it out. It's uh it sounds it's interesting. A, I mean the yeah. the thing in Nosferatu that really stood out to me was definitely the the humanity and like the um i mean the romance that's in it like really feels real yeah you know and it's like i mean this is a hundred years ago and like it going back to silent films isn't always my go-to yeah (laughs) you know i tend Mm -hmm. to watch newer stuff um so it always surprises me when i do go back and watch older things how um captivating they can still be sometimes you know and Nosferatu definitely was that way so I'd be interested in in checking this out just to kind of see how I don't know how I might connect with it yeah you definitely should and I think that it the thing with Murnau is the techniques he uses are so interesting that even if the story is a bit bland like what's being presented to us on screen is is excellent you know he's got an eye for for a set I mean all the set pieces are in this and these really interesting kind of dimensions and everything just feels a little expressionist, which is cool, yeah. you know. Yeah. For sure. um, and then I rewatched the African Queen from 1951 with Bogart and Hepburn, um, a classic. Uh, I've seen it a few times, um, and my parents were in town and they kind of hadn't seen it for a while, so we decided to watch that. Um, I bumped it down. To three point five. Really? I recently, like the last time I watched it, I put it up to four, um, and I I think that I'm flip flopping between these two areas. It's I mean it's great. Bogart and Hepburn are wonderful. It does feel a bit laggy in the middle, you know, yeah. when they kind of before they get to the end, it's a bit kind of like okay, what else can we do to just stretch you know stretch this bit out a little bit, um, and it's yeah, it's not like a Oh, I can't wait to go back and watch that again. You know, when we sat down and watched it, I was like, okay, I can remember quite a lot of this. And it, it's probably yeah. just because I've seen it more recently than um, than I should have done that it just felt a bit more laggy. But You were just on a Bogart high last time you rated it. I know. Maybe that was it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, <laughs> I've never not... watched it. It's, uh, I mean, I've been wanting to. I've got it on VHS. I think yeah. I've got a couple of copies on VHS for some reason. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One unopened. <laughs> wow uh, but uh, yeah i, mean, I it's, definitely it's, need to watch it yeah it's worth the time i mean it, it is fun you know and it's great to see um roles for older stars of hollywood you know because they're both yeah. kind of getting on a bit so it's nice to see that um but yeah i mean it's not I don't, it's i feel like it's held in high regard but it just doesn't yeah it's not like a five star for me didn't it get a lot of Academy Award nominations and stuff? I think so. Yeah. yeah. And the production of it was pretty um arduous, I think. It it took them a lot to to make because they actually went to Africa. Yeah. To make I think it, we so. talked about this film yeah. quite a bit on our um Deadline USA episode. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody got food poisoning apart from Bogart and the director because they just drank all the time. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> um <laughs> and then I watched Master of the House. Uh, from 1925. This was part of the Criterion Challenge that I started. 
oh, um, yeah. earlier in the year um, on the silent film kick. So I decided to watch it. Directed by Carl Theodore Dreyer, who did The Passion of Joan of Arc, which is okay, a, yeah. a staple of silent cinema. And it's on the mm-hmm. Criterion channel. So I was like, cool, I'll watch it. Um, I found it a real bore. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, it's um, the premise. I mean, the first 10 minutes or so sounds so promising. Like, um, there's, you know, the master of the house is kind of, he's mean to his wife and his kids. And it, I thought that it was going to be set up to be like, you know, a very empowering tale of, you know, female in the, in the household and taking, you know, just being appreciated for what they were doing, which seemed to be what it was setting up for. Um, but then it's unfortunately like an hour and 40 minutes of like, of just that single idea with the husband like learning that his wife is valuable, <laughs> you uh, know? Yeah. And I just, I was like, oh, like, we know, like, let, like, let's, let's go. Come on, you know, let's keep going. Yeah. Um, and the way they did that was to um, maybe spoilerific, but it's not a recommendation to watch it. Um, there was Spoiler, the way they did that. Was, years later. <laughs> yeah. They, um, his kind of, uh, like, a, like, and, or something came to like came to the house to like look after him, I guess. Um, and he said that she basically abused him as a child, you know, not in the same words, but she was like really mean and like punished him a lot. Yeah. And it was that kind of iron fist that made him see the error of his ways. Mm. And now it's kind of like, mm, I don't think that we should have done that. <laughs> yeah. You know, just it all just felt a little off. And like I said, it's an hour and 40 minutes and it just drags. I ended up watching it at like 1.5 speed. On Criterion. Oh wow! Yeah, and it, I mean, it. I think it improved it. <laughs> just it. Just felt, well, that's like older silent films. It kind of looks sped up anyway. You know. Yeah, exactly. And it just, you know, there was a lot of just wasted opportunities. I think. Um, so I gave yeah. it two out of five, which is not you a think recommendation. It's in Criterion, just because of the director. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately. I think it's probably part of that. And I was looking through um Letterboxd and there's a lot of people that think of it pretty highly, you know, it's between three and a half to four stars. Yeah. Um, but a lot of them are kind of like, Oh, look how this is setting the way for Passion of Joan of Arc. Look how he's focusing on the female for Right. Yeah. Yeah, and it's yeah. kinda of like in context, yeah, I'm sure, you know, when you look at his full work, it could mean a lot more, but it's just like a single experience of sitting down and watching it. It was just like, okay, this is yeah. rather boring. Well, I mean, it's like the passion of Joan of Arc is like in every film history book. It's mm-hmm. in every film history class. You know, yeah. it's in every film history YouTube video. Like anything yeah. you watch, you're gonna see those images from the passion of Joan of Arc. Um, yeah, it's an it's a. I mean, he's an important person. He is. Yeah. Um, I wish I'd watched rewatched Passion of Joan of Arc instead of watching that. But yeah. it's ticked off, you know, and um not everything's a winner, unfortunately. Um and that was not a winner. Um You lose. <laughs> <laughs> um and the last thing that I went ahead and watched um was La Lante from nineteen thirty four, directed by Jean Vigo, um, a French film. Um Vigo, who directed it, um, would die while this was being like released, I think a few weeks after it was released, um, due to tuberculosis, I want to say, off the top of my head, um, at age 29. So it's kind of like one of his remaining films, very highly thought of um, in films that are kind of always on the sight and sound list and, you know, like the 1001 films to see before you die and things like that. Yeah. Um, it would It would make a really interesting double bill with Sunrise, um, which is maybe why I was like drawn to it at this time. Yeah. Um, a young sailor marries a, a country girl um, and she joins him on his boat and dreams of Paris. And they come, you know, into like there's a lot of kind of tension between the two of like, you know, having to work and like, going to Paris and things like that. Um, and it's, I mean, it's fun. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, and I gave it four out of five. Definitely want to watch it again. Not quite sure that it's like the best French film I've ever seen. Um, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, enjoyable. Nice, um, cool. But but yeah, that was it. Apart from our feature presentation, 
I'm going to do that again because it's not feature presentation anymore. It's uh, sermon, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, whatever. I mean, I don't know the best way to say it. <laughs> I'll, I'll just say it again and then um, we can just decide. Uh, maybe, I don't know, feature presentation sermon? Yeah. Feature sermon presentation. Oh, it doesn't matter. Just... <laughs> yeah. And the only other film that I've been watching this week is our feature presentation sermon sermon presentation. That didn't sound right. Um, okay, here we go. And the only other thing I've been watching this week is our main sermon for the day. Rome, open city from 1945. The letterbox summary um, is our battle has barely begun. During the Nazi occupation of Rome in 1944, the leader of the resistance is chased by the Nazis as he seeks refuge and a way to escape. Um, the way that I picked this film was I cheated and had Brandon pick a year from Letterboxd and we picked the first film from that year that I had not seen. Um, the year obviously was 1945 and this was the film. So it was kind of a surprise to both of us. Um, and Brandon, what did you make of Rome Open City? I'm going to answer that question okay. <laughs> in just a moment. But first, uh, I need to re-clarify something from the beginning of the episode. Uh, you said this was our, did you say this was our first Italian film? I did. Like, uh -oh. as in Italian, first Italian film ever? As in our first Italian film that wasn't part of the Sergio Leone series. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> He thinks rapidly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because we did. Yeah, we did the whole Sergio Leone yeah. series, which are all Italian films. <laughs> uh, well, and I was thinking about Sergio Leone quite a bit while watching this, because I mean, this is from 1945, and yeah. he grew up in, you know, he experienced Nazi-occupied Italy as a child, mm. and. Uh, yeah, so I mean, I th I'd have to go back and read his biography, but I mean, a lot of that had a huge impact on him, and and this film possibly had a huge impact on him. I mean, thinking about the um, the kids, you know, the group of kids that are you know kind of follow, they're kind of like the Catholic priests, bandits basically, like little yeah. group of uh, rebels. Um, and that is, you see that a lot throughout uh, Sergio Leone's films, you know, this, this kind of, you know, they're all about friendship. They're all about like these group of boys or like these yeah. two friends or like, you know. Um, yeah, so I, I, I'm sh like, I have to go back and look at, again, look at his biography in those early days, but. Roberto Rossellini, I'm sure, had to have had a big impact on him in big and small ways. I don't know, different ways. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, this movie, I mean, <sighs> I, I, I'd be curious to, to, to hear some feedback from our listeners because it, it feels like a little like we do a lot of very um, obscure films or like films that people aren't talking about anymore yeah i mean i like this movie is a a big deal in the film mm -hmm. world you know yeah. and uh but a lot of you know your average like movie viewer probably doesn't know this movie probably doesn't know the eternal daughter that we watched a couple yeah. of weeks ago or yeah. the holy mountain that we watched last week you know i mean if you're a filmmaker or like a huge film nerd like you're gonna you know about these movies, you know, but like yeah. your average viewer doesn't. So, um, but even for me as a filmmaker, like watching this movie, it was, it was a little hard to get into, mm. you know, I can see the greatness there. Um, but, uh, I think I've, I've watched one of the Rosalini film Paisan, uh, during film school. And, 
that was also a little bit hard for me to get into. I mean, Scorsese talks about Rosalini all the time. Yeah. I mean, he was also married to Isabella Rosalini. So like, <laughs> yeah, there's that too. But like, <laughs> you know, Scorsese is a little more in, you know, I mean, people in today's world, people know Scorsese, you know, he's still around. He's still making movies that get in theaters and, you know, and people love them. Um, and he's a popular director. Um, but as a filmmaker, you know, I tend to pay attention to Scorsese and what he says is good and stuff. So Rosalini is somebody I've wanted to get more into. Um, but again, it was, uh, it was a little bit more difficult for one thing. The whole thing is subtitled, which I don't, you know, usually mind. It's not something I'm against, but the movie is very like, um, a lot of information being given yeah. in the first 30 minutes of this movie. So it's, uh, you know, it's not boring, but it's, it's. I mean, you can't passively watch this movie no. and get anything out of it. Like, you have to pay, <laughs> like, very well attention to everything. So it was, um, and I'm, I'm super ADD sometimes, so it's like, I had to watch this movie in, in spurts the first time I watched it. I think I watched it in two or three sittings yeah um and had to rewind a few times to be like okay who am i supposed to be paying attention to in this scene yeah what who are they talking about you know which character is what um so yeah it, it took i mean it, <laughs> usually when people watch films i think a lot of times they come to them for entertainment right yeah they're not like coming to it like uh to do work <laughs> And this movie takes a little bit of work, you know what I yeah. mean? Um, yeah. Because it's it's rich with information and his, historical context. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, you have to you have to be you have to be willing to dive into um, the subtext and the history of this film to be mm. able to to get anything out of it, even yeah. if it is enjoyment, like you still have to put in a little bit of effort and work. So, um, and sometimes I'm very resistant to that. <laughs> mm -hmm. Uh, but you know, that's the great thing about film church for me is like, it's, uh, it's a continuation of that kind of film school scholarly attitude towards film where it's like, okay, well, if I'm not enjoying this, why, yeah. you know, Mm -hmm. and and what what are the the things that are really good here um that stand out and um for, you know watching it the first time you know I watched it a couple times this week and watching it the first time you know the last like 15 20 minutes of this movie are super intense the whole movie is intense but like the the it's not until the last like 15 minutes that you kind of sit up in your seat and you're like okay this yeah. is gripping you know yeah um but you know then watching again the second time it n knowing kind of the characters that i need to be paying attention to yeah um you see a lot more the second mm -hmm. time you watch it like i mean it opens with uh you know the nazi general and like a torture scene and but it's very subtle you know yeah. what i mean but it, it does you know it does introduce a thread that continues to the end, you know, mm -hmm. um, that I didn't really catch the first time I watched it. Um, and so, yeah, there's all of that stuff. And like, um, you know, I did watch the great dictator, uh, sometime last year. Um, and that kind of helped also frame my mind for this movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's a really good watch. It, it's it's, but you but again you have to kind of like have it framed for you and be yeah. you know be ready to kind of dive into a history lesson because yeah. this is uh um this is a I guess in the the genre of Italian neo realism right so yeah. this is uh this is a film that um. Yeah, that's a the Italian neorealism. Like, I only know that term because of film school. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. I wouldn't have figured that out on my own. But like Italian neorealism, 
and I probably sound a lot smarter than I actually am right now, but from what I understand, Italian neorealism is like this very specific genre from Italian filmmaking that was right after World War II and mm. the Nazis lost and went home and uh, Italian filmmakers were making films that were about them right then. Mm. Mm -hmm. You know, it wasn't about the past or the future. It was about the present and what yeah. they had just gone through and what they were going through at the time. Um, so it was very expressive and um, real and, yeah. and representative of the time, I guess, you know. Um, yeah. So it's uh, and, and that makes the ending so impactful, you know, it, it makes it. it it makes it feel very real. And, you know, the actor Aldo Fabrizi, who plays um, the priest, yeah, is incredible. You know, I mean, you can't get away from that. Like, no, like even if you did watch this movie passively and couldn't get into it, that, the, that last scene, those last couple of scenes, like the 10 minutes at the end, like... <laughs> I would be surprised if anybody wasn't gripped by that. Yeah. You know? Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of where I I'm sitting with it. Yeah. I think again, it's a like, it, it, you, you can tell it's an important film and everything. And, um, I think if you're kind of studying the history of world war two, this should be on your watch list. Yeah. Um, but it's hard to say like, that I could <laughs> recommend this to anybody else that wasn't like trying to do a history study, yeah. you know, like, Oh, you're going to enjoy this or like, you know what, you know what I mean? I like, Cause it's, it's, it is hard to get into the characters and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they feel real. Everything feels real, but like, it's, um, it's a lot to keep track of in your head. Like you, you know, you're going to have to sit, <laughs> you're going to have to come to this movie ready to take notes and keep track of. Yeah of everything um yeah how about you <laughs> um i think i probably came at it from the right time or the yeah. you know in my kind of because i know that we've been talking um last episode and i said that i've recently read uh, five came back about the five hollywood filmmakers that went off to document the war yeah um so i already had a framing device in my head for this film I could always, I could already like place it quite, you know, with where it was supposed to be, I guess. So it's just bleeding into what I was, what I've been interested in at the moment, which is war on the screen, especially the Second World War. Um, so this kind of um, was perfect for me at this time, you know. Um, Rossellini is someone that I have watched a few films of, um, a personal hero of mine, not just because of the films he made, but because he wooed. Ingrid Bergman with just his <laughs> cinematic style, which is like the dream <laughs> of someone that is, you know, into movies is a beautiful woman would, you know, <laughs> discover your genius and just leave everything for you. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I mean, I think that this works on a lot of levels. Um, yeah. I think that the neorealism that you were talking about, you know, it's it doesn't linger on anything. It's very as life is, which is exactly what neorealism is. Yeah. Um, when, I mean, there's going to be spoilers because we're going to talk about plot points and stuff, but when Pina does get killed, it is like she is literally just like pulled out of the street and that's it. Yeah. You know, it's kind of just how it would have been, I guess. Yeah, there's no Versus like a... meaning to it. There's no like, um, even in the, as far as the movie's plot goes, it like usually when a death happens, it impacts a character in a certain way yeah. where they have to change something or they, yeah. you know, have to rebel against, but it's like, it doesn't really do anything for the plot. It doesn't change the no. character's paths in any way. It doesn't no. impact the film. It just happens. And then yeah. more stuff happens. Yeah. It just shows that they're kind of so dedicated to the cause that they can't grieve. Yeah, you know, or the yeah. grievings become a part of their life. Every, and I, yeah, yeah, and I think it's a very telling thing that it that we don't linger on it. Um, the the film itself, because us the viewer, we're given kind of after that happens, we're given a break 
you know, of like a couple of seconds, but it's like end of part one. And then it's into part two. Yeah. And it's kind of, we're given that like minute to just like breathe and, yeah. you know, and kind of move on from it, I guess. Um, Yeah. But I think what is really interesting about this film and something that on the second viewing I paid a lot of attention to is the representation of the women in here. Uh-huh. Yeah. Because it's set up a lot, you know, that the male characters are the ones that are kind of hiding from the Nazis and they're the ones trying to, um, get these messages across and kind of, you know, live in the underworld. But the women either are the ones that kind of are affected by it the most, apart from, you know, Don Pellegrini, um, or are, are the architects of the destruction. They're the ones that kind of bring them down. Um, which is, I think, again, really interesting. There's obviously hints of like, um, there's hints of like, you know, that they're the kind of pulling the strings. And I'm not sure if that's the culture of like Italian culture of, you know, the the mother is the the head of the household, you know. Right. Um, or if that's just something that Rossellini is very interested in, is the role of women. Um, there's also like lesbianism in there as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, there's a lot of kind of, I don't know. There's a lot of themes around women in this. Yeah, I, that that was something I I I noticed the second time around as well. Was like, um, yeah, there was a lot more like progressive stuff about women in the film. Yeah. Um, I think it's going to take a few more watches to really be able to yeah. see all the subtle uh, yeah. hints that are there because I think there's a lot more there than I'm catching. Yeah. yeah. Um, and 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 raised a lot of questions too, especially the the you know kind of the villainous female character. Um, is I I still don't quite understand her, like her motives yeah. and like what yeah. you know what the relationship was between her and the other woman. Um, because at the end, because it, yeah, it seems like she she's kind of in love with this woman. Maybe like there's a hint there, and then. At the end, she um, she like walks over to the woman who I, I can't remember anybody's name in the movie, but you know, basically, there's a woman who's kind of um, she's like a famous woman or something. I don't know, mm. um, but she's uh, kind of betrays the two men or whatever. Yeah. Uh, gives them up and then she faints at the end and then the villainous woman like almost walks over and you think she's going to help her but then she just like picks up her fur coat off of her and like walks off yeah so i don't know yeah there's like i I still don't know what that means really or what that character is representing or yeah um, because i I mean yeah because their relationship is very weird i mean mariana is the woman i think that faints who gives uh-huh. them up and kind of faints at the end. She, for you know, she's shown to have like a drug problem. She's kind of, you know, she has that That's bottle right. of whatever it is in her purse. Dentist medicine. Yeah. Um, and I think that this um, Nazi spy is kind of providing that for her. I think that's the implication. Yeah. Um, as well as other things for her services back. Because they work in like a nightclub, and it's you know the the other character that she shares a room with is seen being escorted back by like a Nazi um, officer. So I think it's very heavily implied that they're kind of like prostitutes, yeah, or you know something. So I think that she, um, yeah, the Nazi female is you know using her for information, but also sex, yeah. Um. Which again, I think, just talks about the 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 Rome at that time. You know, it's it's very people are just doing what they have to do to get by. Yeah, you know, the men all seem to be kind of plotting the downfall of the Nazis, and the women are either you know having kids or selling themselves. Yeah, you know, what else could they do? You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. It 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 is. You know, it is very progressive in the in the terms of like the um the diversity of female characters that are there, uh, as far as their um 
I mean, the characters that that women get to play, I guess, you know, because yeah. like there's, uh, especially for the time for 1945, because I mean, if you're if you're an American and you grew up watching American movies, uh, 1945 is going to be a year that is a lot more. Um, I don't know what the right word is. Tame, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Celebratory like, as well. Like, we just won the war. Woohoo! Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, but, like, you know, when people talk about, like, diversity or, or uh, representation in film, like, it's not just about, like, oh, we need more women on screen or we need more people of color on screen. It's more about, like, um, in the in the past representation and, and diversity has been like, Oh, well we're going to make the, the African slave movie, you know, there's your representation or we're going to make, you know, or, you know, we've got, we've got a gay person here, you know, and they're like the likable moral character, you know, trying yeah. to like, um, basically just show, uh, diversity as like always positive, you know, whatever. But like a lot of people um, want to be able to be representative, rep be represented as uh, having as as many diverse emotions as <laughs> you know yeah. the human condition allows. You yeah. know, so like they do, they still want to be able to. Um, have questionable morals and have you know all the you know all the yeah. things that come with being a human. They want to be represented represented as a person, yeah. you know. Yeah. And this so this film kind of allows that. Like it allows yeah. there's a diverse character of characters of women in this movie. You know that yeah. you've got um, Pina, who is you know the motherly character very str a very strong woman character um but and, and you know and kind of like on the good side yeah. of things you know but then you have you know these other characters that are villainous or um kind of in between yeah you know both so like that's and and also you know there's it does show a lot more skin than i think i've seen in a a film from this time too. And, yeah. and so all of these things probably are because it's not an American movie. Yeah. Is what I'm, I, I'm basically getting at. Yeah. Um, and cool to see that, uh, these things kind of exist and have existed, you know, diversity yeah. has existed in a way. I mean, it's not all the way there, of course, but like, you know, I think if you're trying to, if you're a filmmaker trying to, lean in that direction and explore what um what that means this is a good film to kind of check out yeah definitely i mean it, it never once feels like it's been added to kind of tick a box yeah mm -hmm. you know um yeah 100%. which unfortunately is what a lot of hollywood films do to are doing today yeah, yeah. it's like they're just taking a box instead of actually yeah. exploring what it means to have I know. representation, you know. I feel like for the past five years, every time Disney release a film, whatever it is, it's like Disney's first openly gay character. And it's like, I feel like we've been doing this for so long that it's just kind of, it, it doesn't mean anything anymore. Yeah. Every film seems to have a, you know, they take it a step further. It's like, this character is gay. This character has a husband. This character now, like, is seen kissing someone of the same sex, you yeah. know. It's like, stop, just if it, you know, just work it into the, like, just, I don't know, I don't need to be told that this, you know, we're doing something good, just do it. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. Um, but again, this is, it's not, you know, the female characters, like you said, aren't all, like, the winners of the film. You know, they, they are strong. Yeah, they're not all, like, strong, powerful female yeah. characters. Like, there is that in the movie, but it's, yeah. like, also there's weak ones, and there's um ones with questionable morals and yeah. motives and yeah. you know of course yeah um when pina dies it is heartbreaking yeah um 
I it's unfortunately it's something that I have seen before. Like you, oh. like we were talking with um, Passion of Joan of Arc. Um, whenever Italian neorealism is discussed, this is kind of like a cornerstone, along with like Bicycle Thieves and um, others. It's kind of like wheeled out, and that scene especially is something I've seen numerous times. So you know, as soon as I saw Pina, I knew that she was going to unfortunately die. Um, but I mean, it's it's just heartbreaking. Especially yeah. with all the build-up, you know, she talks about being pregnant, and she obviously has a child, and um, and the upcoming marriage, um, and there's that wonderful scene of them on the steps where they're talking about when they first met, and kind of, yeah, you know, the day before their wedding, and then, you know, it's just it, it is heartbreaking, um, yeah. but just shows, you know, how important this is to these people. Yeah, you know, her fiance is still like sad the next day but it's like we just got to do it like we've got to keep going you know yeah and to what end yeah it you know they don't achieve anything really they're all kind of either tortured or killed yeah but there is that scene that uh that kind of frames um the whole purpose of the film i guess or the purpose of the um you know, of of uh, not being a traitor and, you know, for, you know, not, uh, I don't know, for holding on to your integrity, I guess, is is that uh, they're doing it for the their children, you know, for yeah. the future of, of their country and for their descendants, really, you know, and yeah. for tomorrow. There's like yeah. that whole scene where it's like, and I, I think it might be in that same scene where they're kind of talking about the first time they met, right? Mm. I don't know, somewhere around there. Um, but yeah, there, there's basically just like a couple of lines where it's like they're saying that it's for tomorrow and for the the future of their children and stuff. Yeah. You know, of course, Pina dies and her child along with it, but you know, she still has another child that lives. Yeah. Yeah. And the group, and you know, at the end, there's like the group of boys that that are there when the priest is executed um and it i mean and so you i mean there is hope for the future and obviously this came out right after there was hope yeah you know mm-hmm. um so yeah i'm sure yeah i mean you can just tell that the film was probably everything to them yeah yeah um it did really well in france which had also been occupied um, yeah. and then liberated. So, um, you know, that theme of kind of, uh, yeah, I mean, just fighting against things that are kind of walling you in, you know, yeah. the oppression and stuff like that is is obviously paramount. Um, yeah, and I think with the kids especially, you get that. There is that hope, that, like you said, that, you know, they're going out into the night and kind of blowing things up <laughs> and yeah. then sneaking back into the building. So there is that hope that they will kind of carry on the fight you know it doesn't end with the deaths in this film it's just kind of it's just passed on to the next generation yeah um but i mean like don pellegrini is very interesting yeah he is the movie he is the movie i feel that there is definitely a line that he walks in terms of religion into like there's a lot of conversations around you know why is this happening to us and he's like maybe we deserved it maybe you know this is kind of we're having to pay for something um yeah. you know and it's which is which is as we've said when we've discussed religious films before something that you ask a lot is why why is this happening to me you know and instead yeah. of being like it's just a test you know, there's that point where it's like, well, maybe it's not a test. Maybe we deserve this. Yeah. Which seems to be the next step before a defeatist attitude, you know? Yeah. Um, and it seems that he uses his, I could be very wrong, but it seems like he uses his religion as more of a an aid to kind of helping the resistance. You know, he's the one that is allowed out after curfew. Yeah, exactly. And things like that. He uses it as like a cover to mm-hmm. to get this completed, you know? Yeah, it's like a disguise. Yeah, but I mean, his face still feels real. Yeah, exactly. You know, um, yeah, like he's so remorseful. Even at the end, when he when he curses the the Nazis, he's like, yeah. 
forgive me for yeah. saying that, Lord, yeah. you know. Hmm. Um but it it is kind of crazy that like the he's he is like the character that brings so much emotion into the movie, so much human emotion and a range of emotion. Yeah. Uh but he also is bringing, which is also an emotion. He's bringing like the comedy as well. Yeah, yeah. Which is is kind of crazy. He's bringing like he's bringing both ends of the spectrum, um, to the film. Mm-hmm. And you know, because he start like the first time you get introduced to him, he's like playing soccer with the boys, and he's kind of like a buffoon in a way, yeah. <laughs> you know. And the ball yeah. like hits his head and stuff. And then you get the scene where he like. <laughs> with the statues mm-hmm. where he's like trying to turn them to where like the the, the yeah. one statue's not looking at the other one, <laughs> the naked statue or whatever. Yeah. Um so I mean that's just brilliant like character storytelling. Yeah. From the yeah. filmmaker and the actor collaboration, you know. Yeah. And I think that it's it's very telling that um that Pope Francis listed this as one of his favorite films. You know, one of the uh, most religious people in the world yeah. found this as one of his favorite films. Um, yeah. Which I'm sure, again, I'm sure there's a lot of depths and like comments on religion that you know we don't necessarily get. Yeah. Um, which is which is so interesting. Um. Yeah. It's, I uh, did. I was wondering at the end why the. Um, the soldiers don't. Why they shoot at the ground when they're shooting at uh the mm. Pellegrini, and then you know, then the officer has to st- come in and shoot him. Yeah, like, I I wasn't sure what the reason was. Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine. You know, even like we think of Nazis as you know, I mean, they are you know the 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 epitome of evil. Yeah, but it's you know there's got to be people in there that still have at least some Humanity. morals. Yeah, yeah, and like I just imagine you know every especially you know religion was used to kind of stir the crowd and stuff like that in yeah. that season. So to shoot a priest is not not an easy thing to do. As yeah. a you know if they if that's maybe what they were going at, just that this is like a line that. It's not easy to cross even for Nazis. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Try and give them at least a little bit of humanity. I don't know. Because it's yeah. very, I mean, every, I mean, it's very bleak and so it should be. Well, if anybody out there has any ideas or um, thoughts on that yeah. moment, please leave them in uh, the comments, either on our Spotify or our YouTube or yeah. anywhere. Yeah. Instagram yeah. posts. That's right. Um yeah, I'm curious about that. Yeah. So, I mean, the the neorealism like we were saying is very um very evident in here. I think there's like we get shown a lot that we wouldn't normally show. Like the the torture sequence towards the end is kind of very graphic and yeah. doesn't kind of pull away. You know, you would have thought that in Hollywood films you would have just seen the the blowtorch getting close, and then the um, and then the cut prisoner. away to just yeah, fainting, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Whereas here we kind of shown a lot more, um, which they can get away with, and which is more stirring. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, um, it, yeah, it makes you feel very ill. Yeah, <sighs> not quite as ill, maybe as some of the. <laughs> the violence on screen today but you know yeah i mean now it, it yeah now it it just seems like cartoony you know yeah things mm-hmm. that but this feels very real you know like with peanut it's just kind of like one or two shots that brings it down you know it's yeah. just not like slow motion kind of yeah <laughs> um and then the torture scene is like it's the same it's it feel it just feels very real and uncomfortable um yeah and there's the horrible line of oh the italians scream so much or whatever that the nazi general says which is also awful (laughs) yeah oh dear um yeah 
Do you have any other points that you want to make about Rome Open City, Brendan? I mean, it. If any, I don't know. I always see like in Tarantino's influences, yeah, in in films, uh, and I I feel like, I mean, I don't know for a fact, but I mean, I I can't help but see some things that I have seen in Inglorious Bastards in this film. You know, I mm. mean, it could just be because it's World War Two, but. Um, just like the female characters and the torture scenes, and you know the evil Nazi general and yeah things like that. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad we watched it. I mean, me too. As I said in the beginning, sometimes I'm resistant towards the amount of studying I need to do when it comes yeah. to films like this, but it's uh, I always get so much out of it. Yeah, and I think that it puts it in such a good context that, you know, this was kind of written and uh, like written while Rome was still occupied. And then by the time they made it, it had been liberated. So there was already that air of like reflection, but it was still written in such an oppressive time. Yeah. You know, Um, and something that I found out when I was putting the notes together Fellini has a writing credit. Ah. So he assisted, you know, he was part of this group that, you know, the neorealists that were taking over Italian cinema, but he was there from the very start of it, you know. Yeah. And I think got an Oscar for the script. Wow. So, yeah, there's that link there, which I didn't know, which I thought, thought was That's interesting. Cool. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that if you do have, like you say, if you do have a, an interest in kind of cinema around the war and kind of a representation that isn't an American view um this is a good place to start yeah for sure definitely it definitely presents it in a in a great way yeah um yeah so let's guess what the other person rated this on letterboxd let's do it i'm gonna say that you rated it four and a half okay um i'm gonna say that you rated it three and a half all right um, I did rate it four and a half. Nice. I rated it four. Okay, cool. <laughs> I think uh, the especially watching it the second time and having this discussion, but also just the ending is is really really good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the movie just means so much. Yeah. Yeah, and it was kind of one of those that I just couldn't wait to go back and watch it a second time. Yeah. You know, which normally tells me that it 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 did something for me. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. it stirred something inside. So, yeah, it's a uh, it's a good and um, it's good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited to check out more, especially finish this war trilogy, like you said with Paisan. Um, yeah, there's another that I can't think of the top of my head, but definitely excited to kind of check the other ones out. Yeah, have you seen Paisan? I haven't. Yeah, I do know there's a great Criterion like Fellini's War. Mm. Trilogy, which I'm very close to pulling the trigger on. <laughs> yeah. Um, perfect. Well, what are we going to be watching next week, Brandon? Well, next week we're going to be doing some more film studying. It's a film Ooh. that I have never seen. Uh, there's a festival happening around this film um, here in Houston in a few months. So yeah. I kind of want to check it out before the festival happens. It's Metropolis from 1927. Oh my god. <laughs> uh yeah, it's yeah, it's one I've never seen. I mean, it's it's iconic. It's another one of those films that like, you know, in film history you always see images of um yeah. I mean, didn't wasn't C3PO based on mm-hmm. the cover. Yeah. Yeah. Um so like yeah. I mean, it's it's one of those films that, again, it's like, okay, well, I know I need to watch it, but unless I force myself to, I might mm-hmm. not. So that's what I'm doing. Well, I'm very excited. <laughs> I know you're excited because you've seen it before. <laughs> it's just right up your alley. It is. So, yeah, um, yeah, I'm excited to, to kind of break it down and see what, what I connect with here in this, this film. Perfect. Perfect, perfect. Well, that'll be next week, and I cannot wait to talk to you about that 
Um, but that does bring us to the end of the show. Uh, as mentioned, you can find the show on Twitter and Instagram at Film Church Radio, and you can follow us individually on Letterboxd. Brandon is at Selman Scope, and I am at Walker Lewis 3007 to keep up with what we've been watching. We also have all our back episodes streaming on all good podcast platforms, so go ahead and leave us a rating and review so we know if you liked the film, if you didn't, and what you would pick for us to watch in the future. Thank you so much for being here. Um, we love the fact that anybody's listening, so thank you so much for, for tuning in. Um, and as always, we are here every Sunday, so make sure to join us next week for more Film Church. The only thing left to say is... Doesn't Christ see us? So many people ask me that. Doesn't Christ see us? But are we sure we haven't deserved this scourge? Are we sure we've always lived according to the Lord's laws? People never think of changing their ways, but when the piper must be paid, they despair and ask, Doesn't the Lord see us? Doesn't he take pity on us? Yes, he does. But we have so much to be forgiven for, and for that we must pray and forgive many things. You're right, but how do we forgive? I see those guys and I want to smash their face at them. Amen, Amen to that. Amen <laughs> to smashing in the faces of Nazis. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we'll see you all next week. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye.